Welcome to Under the Pendulum. I'm Chris. I'm Heather. And I'm Kate. Oh my god, and we're definitely in the same room again. Oh wow. No. It's not like we recorded this one after the other. (laughs) Don't be silly. (laughs) So this episode will be closing out the three-part series on our favorite horror films. And this last episode is Heather's favorite horror film. Mine. Whee! Night of the Living Dead. Yes. 1968. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Yeah, great pick, man. That's Thank you. Classic. I watched it again. Just again. Two days ago. <laughs> That's rad. Yeah, I gotta watch it again. It's been a while. Yeah, and um, they also have the whole soundtrack on YouTube. Someone ripped the album onto YouTube. Oh, hell so yeah. I listened to that too. That's rad. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on to your britches, everybody, because she's got some good information. It's it's a big <laughs> info dump, but hopefully you guys find it interesting. <laughs> well, protect your brains, and I hope you enjoyed this episode <laughs> of Under the Pendulum. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Welcome to a night of total terror. <laughs> Night of the living dead, the dead who live on living flesh, the dead whose haunted souls hunt the living, the living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly creatures. next genre that we're going to talk about the zombie film actually the the like original zombie film night of the living dead 1968 oh god damn it heather that's so rad that you're talking about that and like we were talking about earlier it was just so hard to pick you know my favorite horror movie but you know at the end of the day when i think about it i've seen this one more than probably any other movie i've watched ever yeah maybe nightmare before christmas is up there but i don't know i just i love this one so much uh, and yeah. there's there's really just so much to say about it. Oh yeah, because it's quite possibly one of the most influential films of the horror genre, Absolutely. like period. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's solely responsible for this zombie subgenre of horror that is incredibly prevalent today. And it's funny because previous this to this, zombies were depicted as the undead being spawned from a voodoo ritual or a curse or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, it was yeah, it wasn't the slow lumbering kind of undead that that is depicted now so i mean if you've been alive for the past you know 20 years you know the all the movies video games comic books television series everything that's come off of this you know walking dead resident evil it this Mm -hmm. movie is responsible for all of that which i love all that stuff too even though i stopped watching walking dead because it started to suck but I do oh my still God, it turns into such great. a soap opera. It's just like, Dude, yeah. am I watching Battlestar Galactica? Am I watching the fucking soap channel? Like, what am I watching? Jeez. So um, I'll start talking about production. This this is really just such an interesting story. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about George Romero. Uh, he started out working on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. What? Yeah. 
I I was like, no way. That's fucking crazy. (laughs) But he directed the short films that appeared within these episodes, Mr. Rogers Gets a Tonsillectomy and Things That Feel Soft. Uh, That's not a creepy title. That all just made me so uncomfortable. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So um, he started his uh, company, Leighton Image, in 1963, and they produced what looks to me mostly like beer commercials. Hell yeah. But there he learned to shoot, edit, and, you know, other production elements through his experience filming with Leighton Image. He then bought a 35mm camera to up his game, and he ultimately wanted to make a movie. He wanted to get out of advertising. So he read I Am Legend and drew his inspiration for the original short story, what would become to be adapted into the screenplay of Night of the Living Dead. Wow. He says he, he thought that, you know, I Am Legend had undertones of, of revolution. You know, and also at the time in 1967, you know, when really this concept started to get into motion, the war in Vietnam was in full swing, which was increasingly unpopular in the eyes of Americans and and seen as a pointless affair. Mm -hmm. And post-civil rights era racism sparked countrywide protests and riots. So it was a pretty tumultuous time. George Romero says, So I invented these characters, which in my mind, they were just ghouls. The dead are coming back to life. That's the revolution. That's the big thing that everybody is missing. We just wanted to make as ballsy as a horror film as we could make. So in 1967, a 27-year-old George Romero, along with the co-writer John Russo, John Russo, excuse me, and four other investors put together a new company called Image 10. Each investor put in $1,000 to buy film stock and rent the house to film in. Ultimately, as the film went on, they ended up coming up with $70,000 in cash they had put in by the time it went to to distributors. But $114,000 was the final budget after the deferments of the actors were paid off. Oh, wow. Wow. So really low budget. I mean, I I didn't do the the today's money conversion, but still, I mean, yeah, just, just extremely low budget. And I mean, when you're when you're starting out too, people try to constantly get you to do things for free or put your own money into things. And Mm. it's just nice to see an example where it was somewhat organized, well, completely organized, and it paid off for these these young people, which is great. So a lot of the investors and Romero were, you know, they had background in production, mostly in advertising. So they already had the necessary equipment to film and some experience, which also saved on their budget. Cool. So they found the abandoned farmhouse in Pennsylvania that was going to be torn down and chose that as the filming location. Nice. There was no running water and only an outhouse on location. Nice. So they had to go like 100 yards away and fill up these buckets for for water, basically. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And there was like a river nearby, and, and the house was so remote that it wasn't super accessible by car. So one of the crew members built a bridge over the the river so they could get access to the house what? more easily. <laughs> yeah. They furnished the house with um, antique furniture, items from Goodwill, and they even crafted a fake fireplace for the inside of the house for decoration. And, um, you know, the fact that it was filmed in black and white was mostly due to budget constraints, but also the fact they didn't want to sacrifice 35 millimeter for 16 millimeter. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, and that's so funny that it actually works out because it really kind of, I don't know, man, that that black and white really kind of makes the yes. film in a lot of ways. I agree. It's not distracting yeah. and there's more clarity in the point, I think. It's it's great. Yeah. 
the the, the ambiance is unmatched really yeah i gotta say one thing though there's this uh i saw it recently around halloween in theaters uh in portland and there's this fucking couch in this movie that's the star of the show it is the most beautiful floral couch (laughs) from the 1920s or 30s i have ever seen <laughs> and like they're just fucking pushing it around and tossing it around and I'm just like I would pay you so much money for that goddamn couch right now. <laughs> anyway, well I'm sure if Romero was alive he'd appreciate that. I hope he has the couch, you know. Oh yeah. Cu- cur- curating good furniture. <laughs> so Romero was cin- cinematographer, director and editor. Most everyone on set Crew and cast had little to no past experience in filmmaking, you know, besides those investors. And even then, it was really constrained to to advertising type thing. It wasn't really film. Mm. So it was truly a passion project among everybody involved. Of the original investors, there was a butcher, Ross Harris, who also provided the flesh and entrails feasted on by the ghouls. Nice. I thought that was kind of cool. That was very cool. (laughs) Yeah, that's neat. (laughs) So uh, two of the other original investors, they worked together at a recording studio. Carl Hardman, who also played Harry Cooper, the asshole. Oh, yeah, yeah. Eastman. Yeah. yeah. He's a fantastic asshole. Who played Helen Cooper, his wife. Oh. Yeah, he's, he's the worst, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Hardman and Eastman were also producers, makeup artists, costumers, fully artists, and they also scored the film using music curated from the Capitol Music Library. Wow. And they took the inspiration from the old Frankenstein and Universal horror flicks to to kind of craft the soundtrack. Wow. Ah, Which, you know, it's it's when you think about it and I never had before, it's pretty antiquated for 1968. It just never really occurred to me until I heard them talk about that. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Actually, it's it's funny you bring that up because it's like you could really the movie actually kind of feels like a decade older than it is you know um yeah you know it I does. Guess the low budget yeah. the black and white you know kind of that yeah older like you said antiquated music yeah that's that's really interesting you know um you don't really think about that no i i never really thought about it and then when they were talking about it they're like well we used all this music from you know people who have been long dead you know to score the film i was like holy crap that's that's a good point. Absolutely. <laughs> I just, yeah. And I always just love the soundtrack for it. I love yeah. I was going to say, I, I think that that's um, another really great resource that we have right now is people are starting to see again, like 20s to the 60s. There's so many good resources that we all have that are accessible in both, you know, the Smithsonian, the British Library, all kinds of things like music, art, yeah. everything. It's great. It's cool to it's cool to see that yeah, they had that access as well, right? And and I'm wondering if it's because they were in the recording business, you know, probably, they they did yeah. a lot of radio work. Uh huh. They probably had easier access to that kind of thing. Yeah. Huh. But um, they would man- manipulate the music by slowing it down, speeding it up, and using reverb and echo effects. Wow. So Eastman had a background in stage makeup, and she learned as she went because you know stage makeup's a lot different than the makeup for film. And she recalls that the zombies get better through the course of the film because she started to get the hang of it as filming progressed. Oh, okay. I see. That's too funny. Yeah. (laughs) They used mortician's wax for much of the makeup, and they created backstories for each of the ghouls, including how they died. Wow. It's really cute to, to see, like, 
when you talk, uh, see interviews of Eastman and Hardman talking together, they're like, oh, yeah, that's the that's the bridge couple. They drew off the bridge in their car and now they're, wow. you know, they're back up here by the farmhouse. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool. That's a cool. What about like, kind the of naked lady? Um, you know, it's like it's just no one will ever know about it. You know, it's just like this really in-depth, like yeah. a character development that just kind of only they know. It's like an inside joke in a way. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the naked lady was, she was, um, I think, a townsperson, like someone from the local town who was willing to be filmed from behind nude. So, I mean, I don't know if they really had a backstory for her, but I do remember her saying, uh, Eastman saying that they had to paint her skin like gray green, you know, because it was too pink, but... You know, also it was filmed in black and white, so yeah. <laughs> it didn't really end up making any difference, but wow. yeah. So the men who did the special effects distributed fireworks, and they did all the pyrotechnics and squibs. Uh, the actors who were set on fire were actually volunteers, which is absolutely fucking insane because they didn't have a proper fire suit. Oh, and so yeah. these guys just, like, wore multiple layers of clothing and... Like, hoped for the best. What the fuck? fuck, man. Jesus. (laughs) They must have been cool as shit to get friends to set themselves on fire. Damn. It's just absolutely... I I could not imagine being that insane. That's Mm -hmm. dedication. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. So the rest of the crew and the ghouls were friends, acquaintances, clients, and colleagues. Pretty much everybody and their mother that they knew, like, pitching in to, like, make this thing happen. So by the time they went into post-production, the money was slowly coming in and Romero was uncertain if they'd be able to finish the film. They actually didn't have enough money for the sound mixing. And so Russ Streiner, who also played Johnny, he knew a guy who owned a mixing lab and he challenged him to a chess match, putting up the sound mixing as the stake. So Streiner won the match and they got the mixing done. Oh, man. That's fucking awesome. Everybody loves something won on a bet. Just fucking hedge, hedging your bets on just mm-hmm. like that working out you know it's crazy yeah. so uh the the little girl little karen cooper she was actually carl hardman's daughter the guy who plays harry the asshole the actors who played the young couple tom and judy were played by judith ridley who only starred in one other film in 1971's there's always vanilla never heard of it mm. and Mm-mm. keith wayne whose only acting role was in this film he was a singer and later went on to become a chiropractor, but sadly he committed suicide in 1995. And I really, oh man, there was there isn't much about it. It's just that he died just, by suicide, and that's all I. Wait, really which guy was this? The young hot guy that played Tom. Oh wow! The 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 buff. Uh, oh my gosh! Yeah, Sheriff McClelland, you know the guy who uh, he says they're dead. They're all messed up. He was yeah. played by George Cosana, who, yeah, it was like the most iconic line in the movie. Yeah, they're all messed up. He was played by George Cosana, who had no experience as an actor or in law enforcement. He was actually just a mill hand that worked locally, but yeah. he delivers some of the most quotable lines of the movie. The newscaster, played by Bill Chilly Billy Cardill, a TV personality and horror host of the local Pittsburgh <laughs> series Chiller Theater, was given the storyline by Romero, and he actually created his own lines, which Romero felt added to the authenticity of these sequences. These scenes really tie the film together, I think, and explain the chaos that's happening outside. 
you know, the the news scenes without those, it would really just no one would know what was going on. So it was pretty amazing yeah, that he came up with his own lines. Yeah, it's a pretty cool way of like doing exposition. It's, you know, it's like this really early proto like kind of documentarian style that we see like yes. really prevalent in horror movies now. Um yeah. it's like a really early version and it's just um it's a really great way to kind of like you like you said, you know, really explain what's happening uh, in the outside world, mm-hmm. you know, like like right. in the greater world and kind of brings yeah. the the gravity of the situation back. Yeah, and I mean we kind of learn as as they learn what's happening because the the news reports progress from we don't know what the fuck is going on to like this crazy story about like a space probe coming back from Venus carrying some fucked up radiation that they had to blow up in the middle of the sky. So like <laughs> it's cool to wow. just kind of like learn what's happening as they are. Yeah. So like the the local cops came out and helped them too. Romero just asked if they would come and you know bring their uniforms and their dogs and their cars and they were like yeah sure totally. So God damn, that's that was awesome. really helpful for them mm-hmm. and that really that really helped with a lot of the the end sequence. I felt like yeah yeah it's funny like all these little things like especially if like the way it seems with this movie it's like all these little things that had to happen to make the movie happen. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's like if these little things hadn't fallen in place, if kind of luck hadn't been on their side on, on certain things, like we wouldn't have just basically a great artifact of like filmmaking. Yeah, um, exactly. It's, it's, it's just pretty incredible. Yeah, they were just they were completely uncertain the whole time. They thought they were going to be able to do it wow. on the base budget of six thousand dollars. And then, <gasps> wow. you know, they had someone come in. They're like, uh, guys, no, <laughs> it's going to cost, you know more like 20,000 then of course it turned into 70 and then originally wow. yeah. then ultimately 114 I'm even surprised yeah at it's that. just it just shows the inexperience mm-hmm. yeah but it, but there's like also a I guess that it comes off in the film there's like not only a charm but a a ref, like I have a refreshing take because of like they are like novice filmmakers and actors and creators yeah. like I, I know it just it, it it it's this marriage of like these perfect things coming together and like in these people coming together and making something like yeah. really just this incredible movie it's a it's a cool story it's um you know like i said before truly a passion project and really just people a good example of people working together and and really just not giving up you know their vision you know to get this thing done yeah so uh the casting of Dwayne jones as the hero of night of the living dead was Definitely one of the most controversial aspects of this film. The script was actually not originally f- written for a black actor, and this was actually reflected in the way the way the film is played out as well. I mean, no one ever makes any mention of it, which was wow. kind of an uncommon thing back then. There was no which is a powerful thing now. Yeah, definitely. So Romero said in a 1972 interview about this. A friend and I began writing a script, but we didn't have it nearly completed when we started shooting. We cast around for people. That's as kind of a random experience, too. There wasn't much to draw on in Pittsburgh except a friend of ours, Dwayne Jones, who is the black actor who plays Ben in the picture. We had no preconceived notion as to the role being a black role. Dwayne came in. He looked right. He read well. So we used him. We never took any further note of it. It's not mentioned in the script at all, although I know we're getting a lot of press comment over that fact. 
He also says later on that, we thought we were doing the right thing by not changing the script. Not only was Ben the hero of the film, but during the second act, he slaps Barbara, the white woman lead character, over her, over her hysteria of what's happening in the outside world. Then in the final act, he shoots and kills Harry Cooper, another of the white leads of the film. To 1968 audiences, these moments were heavily remarked upon. Wow. Dwayne himself was cautious about doing these scenes, knowing what impact this could have. No shit. Romero recalls oh something. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean... I can't imagine. And uh, Romero recalls thinking that they should have, that they were being hip, you know, by not changing the script. Mm -hmm. But he also reflects later on that he feels that they should have further exploited the racial issues beyond simply following the script Mm -hmm. and not really going any further beyond that. Yeah, because you could really do a lot of readings like, you know, the uh, Harry Cooper, kind of what his character represents, this sort of like, you, I mean, I, I guess let's not mix words or mince words. It's like yeah. this white fear mm-hmm. of, yeah. of you know, protecting everything that it's mine and, and my rights. And like, you're not more superior than me. Like, why do you yeah. get to be the authority figure? You know, he really is this archetype for like this sort of white superiority, but like kind of cowardly fear of like anything yeah. that's not um, you know, in within his realm of mm-hmm. like normality, you know, and and Barbara too. I mean, like even though she's she's not the worst, I mean, she is sort of this like, I don't know, man. She plays like this archetype of like a helpless. You she know, curls up female. into a ball and she fucking gives up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's just like these a lot of archetypes, and then wow. you see, you know, uh, Dwayne is just the only one who seems to be able to have his head on his shoulders and like yep. really you know face this problem that's so interesting. yeah ha- yeah lead and face this problem head on which you know it's like that's I'm racism so... you know it's like yeah everybody else is so concerned about themselves right. and he's the only one who seems to be concerned about the actual problem um, right. that's manifesting around yeah them. his his yeah. role is so sophisticated i am totally surprised that it was not intentional as far as you know like bringing those messages across i was shocked by that too wow I really was because I always thought that, like, obviously the film was written as a political statement. I mean, it could have been no other way, but no, that's not the case at all. And it's really just shows how super progressive, you know, Romero was. Yeah. Well, it's just funny how all those things kind of, again, just kind of line up. You know, it wasn't wasn't only these things coming together. Um, but it's also like the time mm-hmm. which it was shot, mm-hmm. you know, and then the, the obviously the casting and yeah, it's just it's it's all these things that kind of make it. I mean, just make it more than it probably intentionally was was meant to mm-hmm. be. Yeah, the the bare bones of it, it just really shows that, you know, he was a decent person and he didn't think about it like that. You know, he wasn't going with everybody else and making it an issue. He was seeing this gentleman as an actor and he is acting and like that that's yep. and and that's even more beautiful for that time which is which is really refreshing to hear you know yeah yeah and everybody that you know in all the interviews that I watched about him everyone only had the best things to say about him like how sweet he was and how you know reasonable and and fair and yeah. you know just just to as a director you know, mm-hmm. the, the opposite of Friedkin. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and he seems like a sweetheart, too. When you listen to him talk, he just mm. seems like a nice dude. Yeah. Um. So on a side note, uh, when the film was fin- finally finished in April of 1968, 
Um, as Romero was driving the film from distributor to distributor for their consideration, he actually heard on the radio that Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. So that's, yeah. Just kind of added, kind of added some levity to the, you know, yeah. I guess to, to the film. I would know. say so. Yeah. Yeah. So Columbia was the first distributor to consider the film, but eventually turned it down. Then American International Pictures, a low-budget film distributor known for psychedelic films and the Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe movies, we all remember those, <laughs> said they would take the film only if they agreed to change the ending, saying it was too dark. Romero said, fuck you, and walked away from their <laughs> oh, proposal. Yeah. He's like, we're not changing the ending. This is our movie. Yeah, it's it's and it's a great, and I mean, just like, how could you... Yeah, God. Yeah. Can you imagine? Thank goodness that they didn't give in to something like that. They then hired a sales agent and were finally able to find distribution through the Walter Reed organization. However, it was only shown in theaters that primarily showed grindhouse and exploitation films. And upon its initial release, it was dismissed and panned by critics. Now, as we were talking about earlier, um, during the 60s and, you know, Subsequent, you know, kind of the decades before and after this, horror films and magazines were mainly marketed to children. So, you know, the parents would often like drop their kids off to spend a day at the movies watching these horror movie matinee marathons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Night of the Living Dead was playing during these matinees. And it scared the fucking shit out of these kids that went to go see it because it wasn't oh one of the usual God. fun and hokey films that they were used to seeing. They Watching were terrified. A, a graphic <laughs> death of a black <laughs> man awesome. at the fucking end of the movie and being like, what did I just see? Like, I don't understand how complicated this can be or all these things. Well, and like the eating of flesh, you know, like showing actual yeah, like true. zombies eating fucking naked women and all sorts of shit, you know? Um, yeah, oh my god, yeah. that's, all, that's so awesome. Ugh. Yeah. So into the early 70s, people started to notice that Night wasn't just an exploitation movie to make a buck. It was like a work of art. It was something special, something different. And this is probably the saddest tad t- tidbit of all. No! Uh, maybe as sad as the ending. I don't know. <laughs> so when the title was changed from its original title of Night of the Flesh Eaters... Because there was a similar movie titled that, Tonight of the Living Dead. Their distributor, the Walter Reed Organization, they failed to include the copyright marker on the second title. And that caused the movie to become public domain, resulting in Romero and his investors at Image 10 making no royalties and virtually nothing off of this movie. Oh my God. A fucking clerical error, you know? Yeah. Wow. And we know Jesus. how successful this movie is. Like, dude, ugh, it breaks my heart. But, I mean, like, it, it probably did launch his career, though, even though it he did. didn't make anything yeah. off that. Um, it you did. know, he was able to make, like, become a master of the zombie of, genre. Of horror. Yeah. Day zo- of the Dead, Dawn genre, of the yeah. Dead, yeah, Diary of the Dead, yeah. Land of the Dead. He was know. able to rec- reclaim his identity very well within that. Like, That's wonderful. But yeah. that is, oh my god, that is just fucking breaks my Jesus. heart, man. Did someone was, yeah, was it, like, did it come up for sale again? Like, how does that work? Like, how did anybody like someone's got to own it now? It's got to be trademarked now. No, no, no one owns it. Anybody can, if you obtain a copy of it, you can distribute it. What? Crazy. It's crazy. 
Yeah. Wow. That's why you see it in dollar bins all the time. You know, if you wow. see a dollar bin at any like Walmart or anything, just dig a little deeper and you'll find a copy of it. It's crazy. Wow. <laughs> that's crazy. That's nuts. So I didn't really give a brief synopsis yet, but it's basically brother and sister Johnny and Barbara drive to a cemetery in Pennsylvania to visit their father's grave. And as they're leaving, a strange man kills Johnny and viciously attacks Barbara. So she runs away and she takes shelter in a farmhouse and uh, she finds a woman who lived there dead and half eaten upstairs, which is like one of probably the scariest images of the whole movie. Mm -hmm. That that corpse face with the eyeballs popping out. Oh, my God. I blocked (laughs) that one out. (laughs) (laughs) So like there's more and more ghouls coming. And, you know, another interesting thing about this is they never refer to them as zombies one time. They're just called ghouls throughout the movie. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So as as she sees That's more cool. ghouls coming, cool. um, <laughs> uh, Ben shows up at the farmhouse, um, and then he starts boarding up all the windows and doors, and you know, trying to get Barbara to help. She won't help. She's fucking catatonic, really, and just fucking white women, right? Exactly. <laughs> She's such a white just girl. Pissing just everybody like, off. Yeah, everybody help me. Like everybody save me. I'm. I, I she she World truly gift. is like infuriating for a good half that yeah. you know the half the film until she kind of like gets a little more you know like Dude. Uh, I don't well, know she she kind of she comes out a little more but it's just like she's just so fucking when, infuriating when I went to see like, it when I went to see it in Portland <laughs> yeah um when he starts slapping her the whole crowd just starts cheering like really loud <laughs> yeah oh my yeah. god. Mm-hmm. Fucking stop screaming about, we have to go fight Johnny. It's just, yeah, mm-hmm. she's, I mean, I understand different people process fucked up Witnessing shit in different ways. Witnessing their brother get murdered you know, in front of them. Yeah, you can't discount. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, that's just going to be how it goes. Some people yeah. will fucking turn in on themselves. Some will, you know, take charge. It's, it's just yeah. the way it is. But absolutely. she is infuriating for sure. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So through her catatonic state, the cellar door opens and Harry and Helen Cooper emerge. Uh, They'd been taking shelter with their young daughter down there after a group of the same ghouls overturned their car and bit Karen. And she's, you know, the little girl is basically dying down there. And then there's also this young couple, Tom and Judy, that have been down there with the Coopers. So they all basically just like gather around the radio listen to all the reports coming through and, you know, things are getting more fucked up by the second. And then, um, you know, Ben and Harry have a pissing contest about what's safer, like upstairs or the cellar. Oh, yeah. And, and he turns that's like a, a really diva. huge part of the dialogue. Yeah. It's. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, again, it's, it's like, it's like also looking through it, uh, looking at it through that kind of racial um, lens. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah. it really makes that, you know, it's it's almost more than a pissing contest between two, like, men. It's yeah. like this sort of, like, who is right, you know, right. Is yeah. it, it, or it kind of superior, yeah. you know, who, who, who has the better idea, mm-hmm. you know, in, in an yeah. intellectual capacity. Because Ben's, like, very interesting. he says at one point, he says, like, you want to stay down there? That's fine. But if you want to be up here, I'm the boss. You take rules for me you know you take orders for me and you know oh yeah you're the boss down there i'm the boss up here yeah you know, exactly kinda, yeah <laughs> you a bitch. 
And Harry's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, he's a little fucking weasel. What are you doing? (laughs) Great, great character, though. Oh, yeah. Actor does so well. You hate him. And it's amazing. He worked in radio. Yeah, you really do. (laughs) He's like a fucking Percy from like goddamn Green Mile or something. He just sucks. Oh, God. Yes. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, He's listening through the person. radio, they find out that, <laughs> you know, they're they're supposed to go take shelter in, in certain places and they devise a plan to go out there um, by, you know, filling the truck up with gas. There's a gas pump on the property, but like there's a fuck, fuck ton of ghouls out there. So they, they're trying to figure out how to get there. Basically, Tom, Ben and uh, Judy go out there and uh, by being complete idiots really like they spill the gas the torch meets the gas and the fucking truck blows up bless tom's heart but not not the smartest yeah no he was not um so basically after that you know they they ben runs back to the house and harry doesn't fucking let him back in he like cowers like the little fucking weasel he is in the oh, back corner yeah. of the room. Uh-huh. Ben breaks the door down, sees sees Harry there, beats the shit out of him. Hell yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and um, that's when the zombies start breaking down all the barricades. Everybody Man, dies. I, I, I forgot, but that great scene where the daughter turns and it's just the mother yes. and the daughter in the cellar. That is yeah. such a great Yeah, that's some spooky Hitchcock scene. shit. Yeah. Oh, man. Love that mm-hmm. one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, right before like shit really hits the fan. Um oh, Ben shoots Harry and Harry falls down the stairs. You that's know, right, yeah. and he dies down there. And then mm-hmm. the little girl eats his arm off. Yay. And then um Karen comes down there. Oh no, Helen. Sorry, Helen. She comes down and she sees a little girl like feasting upon her father, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and she's like, "Oh, baby, oh no!" And then, you know, Karen picks up this spade and just stabs the shit out of her, which is like super graphic too. Like it is pretty awesome. Yeah. That's that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I think. Yeah. It's It's just got this like it's really tragic scary you know, especially with the with the light and being and in the, the sound the effects cellar. Yeah, yeah it's it's really great under kind of underrated scene of that film mm-hmm. i think so too so <clears throat> after that you know all the zombies break in johnny takes barbara zombies johnny grip drags barbara out you know they're all they're all dead so except ben runs downstairs he he's fine he runs downstairs just in the nick of time and he sees um you know harry and uh, Helen reanimate, and he shoots them. Like I, he shoots yeah. like Harry like five times. It's hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, um, so he makes it through the night. You know, Ben makes it through the night. He hears yeah. the cops coming. You know, outside and and them shooting the zombies down. So he takes his shotgun. He goes upstairs, and he looks at the window. And just as he looks out the window, the police chief, uh, police chief instructs the dude to shoot him between the eyes, which he does. So the last survivor dies like a dog, and they yep. drag him out like with hooks, and they throw him on a bonfire, and that's how the movie ends. That's right. That, yeah. Them lighting yeah, that man. bonfire. Gosh, that's uh, so surprising. I hate it so much. Yeah. One of the, like... One of the best, I mean, like, yeah, depressing, but, like, great ending. Like, because it's just, like, you yeah. think 
you think there's that little ray of hope. Yeah. Um, I know. You know, I, I know. And it's like, because it, you're rooting for him basically the whole time. And then it's just like a stupid mistake. They're just like, oh, there's one of them, yeah. one of them ghouls in the window. Like, better get well, it. It's yeah. just like, fuck. I, I think a thing that really comes to mind in recent memory when I saw it was. You know how they make it really choppy and then it turns into just pretty much like photos of the aftermath of what they do, you know, in the end of the movie, how they do that. And it turns into real grainy footage. Yeah. 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 yeah, they, yeah they, they show all the, the like polar. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's just kind of interesting because I always thought that that was a correlation to civil rights stuff and like photos that would be in the news of, of the riots and certain things like yeah. that. Yeah, sure. It, it is very like reminiscent that. of like lynching, yeah. uh, like photos you've seen of, yes. of, of you know of young, especially young black black oh, men yeah. who've been lynched or you know or women. And yeah, I mean, like it was a lot of times they'd be burned or you know just I mean just like mutilated. You know, it's just it all this fucking horrible stuff, and just like you see all these fucking assholes just like oh, wish you were I here. Know. You know, like all these horrible horrible things. And um, yeah, and the photos, you know, I think probably unintentionally. Um, yeah you know kind of elicit those those um the the look of those photos you know like and, and all that absolutely and it, it's so powerful too like cuz you don't see it happening in real time you just kind of see snapshots of it and your mind gets to really fill in the most horrific part of the whole movie yeah mhm and i always just really loved the way they did that yeah, it's it's a really great ending. Like I, I don't, it's like as as sad and and like tragic as it is. It it is really a I don't know, really solid. Yeah, solid ending. Yeah, yeah. There was it's in, it's interesting too. Just a, as a as a side note, it was, I forget the artist's name, but um, I was watching a documentary about um the history of L.A. and there were a lot of lynchings yeah. of Mexican people and Black people in the history of LA. So he found all of these photos of these lynchings and took out the person being hung or being hurt so that you could just see the people doing it and focus on how hateful their faces are and how horrible they look doing this to somebody. It's just, it's yeah. absolutely amazing. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. so fucking sad, but yeah, it's, it's like, they are ghouls, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, the these, um, like those mobs that you'd see, you know, like all around. Yeah. I mean, they, they're basically like turned into these ghoulish figures, yeah. you know? Yeah. Damn, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, so closing out with, you know, why I love this movie, you know, again, it was hard to pick my favorite horror movie. And, you know, mm-hmm. as a fan of extreme internal self-deprecation, I always thought that maybe I was trying to be cool when I told people this was my favorite. But <laughs> not you mean. <laughs> that's not true because I've watched it so many fucking times, dude. Yeah, you I, did. I put it on all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. You know, no matter how many times I watch it, I always get upset <laughs> how it ends. You know, I, oh, yeah. I get pissed off and it just it rips my heart out like every time. You know, and I remember the first time I saw this movie too. I remember it was 1995. Wow. I went to media play with my friend Lauren, and we bought. I bought this VHS. We could each pick out a movie, and I bought this one because yeah. I liked the cover of like little zombie Karen Cooper on the outside. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. So I went to my friends, and we watched it during a movie marathon we had, and um, I just remember being fucking glued to the TV the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know. Just knowing, like, the subject matter they're covering and how crazy that must have been in the time. Absolutely. You know, just knowing that. 
And then so I went home and I watched it like a bunch more times after that. <laughs> and I've yeah. probably seen it like 50 or 60 times. Since. I remember I, I remember you using the tape to draw the cover. I remember that. And I remember you also yeah. had a, a T-shirt and stuff like that. That was totally rad. So, um, you know, also besides that, the shot and the music just give it such this like truly creepy ambiance mm-hmm. and feel. The mm-hmm. depictions of the zombies yeah. are super unsettling. And like, you know, it's hard to like most of the main characters because they're either assholes, they're arrogant, they're weak, or they're just wrapped up in their own personal shit. And also nobody yeah. survives. Like <laughs> Yeah, it's well, I mean, well, no, it's it's really it's really true though. You watch this like very personal human drama, you know, yeah. like of these different people playing out in this like you know, this just old rundown house and just, you know, like these horrible ghouls outside. It's yeah, it's just a really yeah, just very, very powerful, especially like, you know, like everything in the low budget, um, you know, yeah. especially like a, probably a lot of us have seen it when we were kids. It's just this. Yeah. Yeah. It's very powerful it for sticks. very little. Um, yeah. It's it's great. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, no one survives. The ending yeah. is is bleak and cold. Like it's it just leaves you with just not no resolve at all but you know that's the way fucking shit goes sometimes and i feel like you know a lot of movies a lot of movies forget that most movies forget that that's the way shit goes because you know they try to comfort their audience with some sort of like positive resolve or a bow on top of it and that's not how shit always goes no and Mm -hmm. you know that's kind of comforting for me because you know although i always wish it had ended happily for the sake of the people who tried to and failed to save themselves. I know that if it had ended happily, I probably would have never seen this movie, and it probably would have fallen in between the cracks with so many other low-budget passion projects. Yeah. And to me, mm-hmm. it's it's a masterpiece in every way for all those reasons. That's I just love it. Pl- that's such yeah. a pleasure to hear yeah, your perspective on that. That's wonderful. I have a new appreciation for it, for sure. Yeah, I, I, think, I think you are right, where, you know, we're spoon-fed all these, like, you know, like happy endings and, and yeah. things are going to be okay in the face of like, you know, sometimes overwhelming or horrible circumstances. And it's just like, you know, no, there's, there's a lot of unhappy endings before there's ever anything good. Absolutely. Yeah. I wonder if Definitely. that's also why we have spikes in depression and people, you know, feeling really unaccomplished because, because of the amount of communication we have and, you know, and also being kind of brainwashed that things do turn out when they don't fucking turn out. A lot of people, you know, their end is sad. Yeah. Or a tragedy happens yeah. or whatever. I mean, that's the that's yeah, what man. it is Definitely. to be alive. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah. those are I think those are some really great ones and I maybe we'll be able to do this yeah. again. Yeah. Um, I'd love to sometime. Like maybe maybe make this a series where we, you know, cover you know, our favorite movies, uh, horror movies of a maybe a decade yeah. or, you know, something that sounds like that. Great. Yeah. Go themed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, any last minute thoughts, you guys? Or No, I I think I think I, I said, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. No. no, I think I'm good. <laughs> I think I, I, yeah. I really went off the rails, I think, a couple times and, you know, talked a little bit longer than I intended to. Oh, but... no, no. No, I, I, I think uh, I, I think that movie really you bring up a really good thing. It's like there's this very human 
um, quality that really comes off, even though it's supposed to be supernatural. Yeah. Like the emphasis really isn't on the zombies. It's it's this human drama that's playing out in front of us, yeah. which is just a, what makes it also a very interesting horror movie. It's it's there yeah. isn't a focus on the monsters. It's you know these relationships of these total strangers, being, yeah. um under under very stressful circumstances. Yep, and you get to see their faces and see yeah. see what people they truly are. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, you really get to see that veneer of like the the pleasantries and like what, you know, these nice societal niceties and yeah. you know, yeah, see what kind of mo- tr- what true monsters uh people mm-hmm. can be. That's Absolutely. right. So, uh plugs. Oh, so yes. So you can find us on Instagram at under pendulum podcast, on Twitter at pendulum underscore pod on Facebook at Under the Pendulum Podcast. And you can find all our shows on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, um, anywhere where you listen to podcasts. You can find me at Christopher Weber on Facebook and Christopher Weber 13V on Instagram. You can find me at uh, Frothy Stardog on Instagram. That's, uh, That's typically where I post all my cool stuff. And um, on Facebook, uh, Kate Weber. That's K-A-I-T Weber. And where else? I think that's about it for me. Um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How about you, Heather? Oh, I... Where can the people find you? Oh, uh, I believe it's H.W. Thomas on Instagram. I can never remember my freaking handles. I think it's (laughs) H.N. Sister. (laughs) Okay, H.N. Thomas, you know. H.N. Thomas! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know how that goes. You just, you know, you can, you'll be able to find me through our, for our, through our pod stuff, so. Yep. And also, <laughs> uh, listen to Heather's uh, narrations that she does for several um, oh, yes. horror podcasts. Tales to Terrify, Wicked Library, The Lift. Heck yeah. Pseudopod. Creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us, everyone. I hope you enjoyed um, our personal takes on horror films, and we'll be back with another episode. We will see you next time. Goodbye. Love you, Bob. They're coming to get you, Barbara. <laughs> All right, man. Hit him in the head, right between the eyes. Good shot. Okay, he's dead. Let's go get him. That's another one for the fire.